Welcome to the Kelly and the Encouragers podcast with your host, Kelly Sisson, wife, mother, therapist, and hippie at heart who loves Earl Grey iced tea, deep conversations, and encouraging others. If you need a little encouragement today, you are in the right place. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to another episode of Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. I know that your time is so valuable and I'm so thankful and feel so honored that you spend some of your time with us. On today's episode, I have Dr. Kane here with me. Dr. Kane is actually my doctor. Well, I guess I should say she was my doctor. She's recently relocated. But I met her at a fertility clinic, and I really thought it would be great to get her on the podcast to talk with you. I know so many people in our audience really have struggled with their own fertility journey, and these episodes have been so healing to be able to share that. So I want to encourage you to listen to this episode today, learn a little bit about fertility journey and struggles that may happen, and how to really find a doctor that's truly like Dr. Kane. You know, she's not just interested in what's going on with you medically, but she really wants to get to know you so that she's able to help you through life. I so appreciate her and appreciate her taking time to meet with us today. All right, Dr. Kane, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for inviting me on. This is really fun for me. I've never done this before. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you agreed to be on the podcast. And so I'm, I'm just going to share with the listeners real quick that we actually met because you are uh, my doctor that I met probably a couple of months ago. It was the first time we had ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine had recommended you and I was so impressed with your um, your desire to really get a full picture. It was like, like nothing I've ever experienced. And we got to talking and I uh, just really thought that your knowledge and um, your interactions would be really helpful for the listeners, especially those who might be going through um, some, you know, reproductive difficulties. So I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about. Sure. Well, thank you. Those are really nice things for you to say. Um, and it, it is really fun to, to be on this podcast. And I guess the reason we found out about this is I just like to ask people yes. when I start talking to them. I usually start with the social history, which is, you know, what do you do? What do you like to do? What's your family like? Uh, That kind of thing, because I think it gives us a nice basis to go from there, a little small talk to go from there and really kind of get to know what my patients need. But what, who I am, I'm a reproductive endocrinologist, so I'm an infertility doctor. I'm double boarded in OBGYN and reproductive endocrinology and infertility. So I had to take, I had to be trained in both of those areas. I had to do additional training called a fellowship and then take uh, written and oral boards, board exams in both of those and maintain my certification in that. And right now I'm working at Sanford Health in Fargo. Um, I'm a part of a group there uh, that's uh, owned by Sanford Health Systems, the hospital there. And um, I'm soon leaving Sanford for uh, a different adventure in North Carolina. I'll be uh, working for a a private practice called Carolina's Fertility Institute or CFI in Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, something a little different now that we're an empty nester. uh, It's, it's nice to come up with something different to do. Yes. 
Absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And I know I said this to you earlier, but I'm very excited for you. Very bummed as well. And I'm sure a lot of your patients are. So that'll be a nice adventure for you guys, though. It's been a difficult couple of weeks saying goodbye to people. I bet. I bet. I bet there'll be a lot of people that will be missing you. And that's for sure. So, and I do have to laugh. I just have to say this. We have been waiting for um, the gentleman who's mowing your yard to stop mowing. And I keep hearing him getting closer and closer. (laughs) Bless his sweet soul. It's like he's, you know, what I always say though, is when something like that happens, I always think we're going down a good path. You know, when there are some obstacles in the way, it's like, yep, we're, we're going to get some good messages out there. So. That's an encouraging message. Yes, absolutely. So I'm wondering, can you share the best part of your job? I don't know if that's like hard. You can pick more than one, but. No, it's a really easy answer. That's one of the easiest questions I can answer. The best part is when people bring their babies to come see us. Oh, how fun. Yes. You know, when we get to see the result of everybody's hard work, uh, our patients, the nurses, the the lab people and us all working together to bring these beautiful little babies into the world. And when people bring the baby in to come say hi, and it's just the best. Yes. That that always makes my day. I bet so. And how neat to be able to be with those families along those journeys, you know, from the very beginning, I'm sure there's a lot of heartbreak as you go through that and to be able to see just that excitement and that life that has literally been born through the work that you guys do. That's really cool. It really is. I I actually started off thinking I would go into neurology instead. So studying brain disease, stroke, neuromuscular disease. And I was really interested in that med school. And I did a bunch of sub-internships and research projects and was on that path. And I had to do a year of internal medicine before I could do neurology. And my first night of call, I just knew I was in the wrong job. Really? And I thought, this is a, this is terrible. I was on oncology. uh, Three patients died that night. They were resuscitate. They were, you know, end stage cancer. So it was what they were in the hospital actually to accomplish. But um, it was so sad and so difficult and so hard taking care of these families when this was going on. And this was my very first night of call. And I thought, I just can't do this for the rest of my life. This is terrible. And I need something where I can see some good outcomes and I can see some success and I can see a tangible result. And I, you know, what's more tangible than a baby? Right. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. That for solid results. Yes. And so I started thinking about what, what did I like in other than neurology and medical school and, and what would be, you know, a, a good place for me to go? And that's kind of how I came around to the idea of going a little bit back in time to do OBGYN residency instead and um, and then eventually doing what I do now, which is the reproductive medicine part. Yes, that's fantastic. You know, I love that you really listen to to your thoughts and your feelings about that and found something that it sounds like gives you a lot of joy and really like fuels your soul. It really does. And it's such an important thing when you're, you know, going through life and you're trying to make a hard decision. Um, it's so important to listen to your gut and listen to your heart in those situations. Yes, I would absolutely agree. I love that. I love that. You know, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about the hardest part of your job. I think the hardest part is when things are going poorly. Uh, 
for instance, when somebody's having a miscarriage, that's just oh, terrible sure. because you're getting so close. You know, you think you're there and you're just overjoyed for people and they're over the moon and then it doesn't work out and you have to tell them this pregnancy isn't good. Uh, it doesn't look good. Things aren't going the way they need to go. And that's just heartbreaking for people. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of times when you're the person breaking that news, I would imagine that you almost have to brace yourself to be able to like really hold space in that situation and, and be there and supportive. And what a hard, hard role too to kind of be balancing like that medical portion of things, but also that like human connection piece. Is that hard for you to manage or? I had to learn to do it. Yeah. I had to learn to do it. You know, I, um, it didn't come naturally to me, but I do, you know, always kind of hold my breath when I go into a patient's room yes. and I'm looking at the ultrasound like, okay, is it going to be good or not? You know, and if it's good, you're relieved and you can yes. go in with a happy face. And if it's not, you know, you're going to have, you know, something sad to, to talk about. And um, yeah, a lot of times that first time that you give that news, you just really can't go too much further than that. You just have to kind of let people process that and, uh, you know, they may be ready to ask questions about what the next step is or what they do next, even as short as a few hours. But uh, a lot of times they just need a little space in there to just sit there and yes, get a hug and, and you know, have somebody just be with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I would imagine that it would take some processing and um, such a grieving process too. I, I'm sure, you know, as you, as you go through that, I would imagine you probably do get a lot of hugs and give a lot of hugs through your job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's part of my job. I was <laughs> going to say, I feel like that's definitely a portion of it. I get hugs all day long. Yeah. So that's, and here is our, uh, our lovely lawnmower guy. You know what? He's, <laughs> he's just, you know, making a guest appearance on the podcast. We're okay with that. We're absolutely okay with that. We welcome everyone. So, but no, that's, that's fantastic. I don't know if you um, ever feel like this, but sometimes, you know, in the job that I do, when I go home at night, one of the last things I want to do is like continue to talk because I've spent the whole day, you know, just really processing with people. Do you ever feel like that when you get home, you're like, do not give me any hugs or are you, <laughs> are you pretty good with that? I'm okay with hugs, but I'm not much of a talker when I get home. Yeah. I don't usually have as much to say. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. You know, um, I really, I know I said this already, but I don't, I honestly don't even know how to put into words how you really make somebody feel. I mean, I can't speak for all of your patients, but I know at least for me, one thing that I've never had a doctor do was ask me like, so what do you like to do? And had you not asked this, this wouldn't be happening right now. And there are people who need to hear the message. And so what I think is really fantastic is that, um, you really do have such unique ability to look at all of that and actually be interested in that. Um, you know, there are some times that it has at least felt to me when I've been to other doctors, like maybe they ask the questions, but then they're like doing something else. They don't really care about the answer, you know? Um, and so the ability to be able to have someone who really hears you was just I, I'll just be real. It was honestly life-changing, especially since I've been going through this journey of um, quite honestly figuring out, do I have PCOS? Do I not have PCOS for so long? It's just been um, quite a journey. And so I'm wondering, 
you know, if somebody is not finding a doctor who is really listening or that they really feel connected to or like maybe like they're not even really um, feeling like the doctor cares what's going on, you know, how would you find somebody? Like how would they seek out a doctor that that does operate like that? Hey guys, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to pop in here for a minute to see if you might do me a favor. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope that you are. And if you are, the best thing that you could do to help us spread encouragement throughout the world is to take a screenshot of it, put it on your social media using the hashtag Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. That'll help us spread the news and get more people in the Encouragers community. Thanks so much. You know, uh, it, it's word of mouth is a great way to find somebody uh, because just like you said, you know, you can tell your own experience, but when you live in a place like North Dakota, you know, we're the only group here. So you kind of like yeah. us or you don't, <laughs> right. you're kind of stuck with us. There's right. not a lot else that you can do, but, um, you can get a hint from people. Uh, Sanford has a nice, uh, program where they have people do a little video and you can kind of get a sense from the way people talk if you're going to be a good fit. Um, some people like a very happy-go-lucky sort of jolly doctor with a good sense of humor. Some people like somebody who's very <coughs> serious, like a like you expect a doctor on TV to be like. Yep, you know, yep. Some people are more comfortable with that and, and some people are more comfortable with someone who's very sweet and kind. Other people find that too timid. So there's personality differences too that can be very hard to predict Yes. Uh, on, on that. But most doctors are gonna know the basic, their basic job. They're gonna right. know how to do basic things. A lot of us may have different styles, but we have very similar basic knowledge about sure. you know, what are the causes of this disease and what are the treatments, because we have to, you know, we can't right. just make <laughs> Right. But one thing you, a patient can do uh, when, they, when they've got a doctor um, to help make the collaboration better, and this can be really hard to do, but it, lead with what's bothering you the most. Yeah. We're actually trained to focus on the chief complaint. So that's the first thing out of the patient's mouth, because that's supposed to be what's bothering them the most. But you and I both know yeah. that it takes a while to get there, you yes. know, they'll talk People will talk about this thing and then this other little thing that's sort of bothering them. And it takes them a while to warm up to this embarrassing story of how they, yeah, their husband did take that medication when he was bodybuilding and they're worried they don't have sperm. Yep. You know, that, that kind of, you know, it takes a while to get to that point and, and it can be really hard to lead with what's bothering you the most, but every doctor's appointment, there is a time limit. You and I at our first yes. visit, I get an hour with my new patients, which is such a luxury. Yes. I can't believe we get to have that. Right. But a lot of doctors don't get that. They, they're just not even allowed to book patients for longer than a certain amount of time. So if you can lead with what's bothering you the most and be honest about your needs, you know, yeah. you can just say to the doctor, look, this is what I'm looking for here. I need someone who will give it to me straight or I need someone who will be really nice because you know the last doctor was a little harsh and a little too blunt and um, 
you know, most of us want to help. We want to make you feel good. We want to have you to have a good experience and be happy with your care. Um, but doctors are human. They can't read minds and they're not going to know if, if you don't give them some hints. So I think that's a way that patients can really help at least train their doctor, yes. whoever they have, to, you know, be a partner with them in this journey. Yeah. You know, I love that. And I'm going to keep that in mind for um, future doctor visits, because that makes so much sense to really lead with the thing that is bothering you the most or the, your biggest concern. Yeah, that that. Thank you. That's very, very helpful for me um, to keep that in mind. You know, I think one thing that I, I do personally, a lot of times, especially if I have multiple questions, I will just take a little note before I get, you know, into that doctor's office, because the minute I walk in a lot of times, like it's gone. It's just gone. I'm like, what, you know, (laughs) what was I going to ask? I'm not a hundred percent. I think I actually did that when I met with you. I think I had a little list and I was like, okay, what about this? What about that? You know? Yeah. That's really helpful. Just keep it in a little notebook in your, in your purse or on your phone. It's so helpful when people have a small list of questions, just to remind them of the big points that they wanted to cover or the things that they wanted to ask yeah absolutely as long as you're not pulling out like 35 million questions I suppose that might get a little challenging you know we try to get through those too but sometimes um sometimes what I'll do when I see a really long list of questions because they do come in sometimes yeah is I'll give a spiel yeah you know I'll say maybe I can just give you an overview of this. And then when they look at their list of questions, a lot of those questions have been answered by, by the spiel. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a really good way to do that. That's fantastic. You know, um, we have several listeners who um, have contacted me and just let me know that they've struggled along their own um, infertility journeys. And so I'm wondering if you can think about like just, you know, one, it can be more than one, but a recommendation or a piece of advice that you would want, um, you know, the listeners to really hold near and dear to the heart. What are your thoughts on that? I think the most important single thing I could tell people who are starting to wonder if they um, should see somebody for infertility is to kind of get a sense of when that makes sense to do. So to, to know that you have to back up a little bit, know what the definition of infertility is. Yep. So the definition of infertility is no birth control for 12 months while you're having sex. It doesn't mean you're charting. It doesn't mean you're using an app or taking your temperature or using an ovulation kit or doing something special. It just means you pulled the goalie Yeah. for 12 months. I love and- that. Sorry. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I'm gonna, I like that phrase. Yes. Yeah, I do too. You pulled the goalie for 12 months and nothing happened. And if the woman is over 35, we shorten that to six months because it may be more difficult for her to get pregnant. Uh, infertility rates are higher over 35 and there may be other challenges. So we don't want patients to wait as long to come see somebody sure. if the woman's over 35. If you know that there's something else going on, like you know that your periods aren't regular or you know that you had an infection at one point or a sexually transmitted disease that could be causing tubal blockage, you don't have to wait the six to 12 months. You can come in and get checked sooner. And we can, you know, look at 
uh, offer some reasonable testing and, and listen to your story and maybe do an exam and say, okay, these are some things you can try first before you really go actual fertility treatment. Right, right. You know, and that's one piece that I think can be really can confusing for people they haven't been through it is it does feel like even when I you know came to see you I was thinking like oh if I go you know go to this appointment does that mean suddenly like I'm gonna be you know going through all these different treatments and this that and the other and so it seems almost like a lot of times we have like an all or nothing mentality but there's so many from what I understand there's so many different steps of things that you can do so it's not like an all or nothing no, definitely not. For instance, if uh, somebody comes into me and says they have PCOS or is worried that they have it, then that might just be a set of blood tests yep. to, to try to figure that out, maybe an ultrasound, because PCOS is partly diagnosed by ultrasound. Um, if it's somebody who's been trying to get pregnant for a year and haven't had success, usually I'll offer a, an evaluation. And, and what I usually recommend is an ultrasound and blood work on cycle day three and some kind of testing of the uterus and tubes about a week later and a sperm test on the partner. And so that's two visits for the woman and one for the man. And then a visit at the end to kind of put it all together and say, okay, these are the things that we found. These are the things that we see are going on. These are some ideas of things that you can try. Mm -hmm. And I usually start with the least invasive, most low key things, and then go up to, you know, what's reasonable. I don't usually go straight to IVF unless tubes are blocked, sure, you know, that, sure. that's a different, that's what IVF is for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we usually, it doesn't mean that you're going to get sucked in and have to do all kinds of things right away is that, you know, people do go through the process and if they're not getting, right. having success with simple things, they, they do kind of need to continue going through the treatment, but um, it certainly doesn't mean that you have to do all that right away. Right. Absolutely. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, what's great is that you do have a lot of choice in that. And I personally like that, that you uh, break it down into like, here's like, you know, kind of the first step of things that we can do. If you want to, you know, be more aggressive, we could go here, but you know, I think it'd, you know, be fine to start here. And here's like the really extreme <laughs> or not extreme, but the really yeah. intense um, thing that we can do. And just to be able to have kind of certain levels of it too, I think is really helpful for people. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, it's scary to come into an infertility office and, you know, we have people fill out a questionnaire before they come in. And one of the questions is on a level of one to 10, what is your stress level related to your infertility? And I'll tell you, Kelly, that number is almost never below eight. Oh, it's yes. never below eight. And then people come in and they're just kind of shaking and they're tearful and they're worried. And maybe they've been fighting in the car on the way in. Sure. And, you know, my hope is by the end of that hour, they're relaxed, they've had a chance to laugh and realize that we're not, you know, going to just make them sign a paper and do IVF right away. And right. Um, that we have a lot of options and a lot of things we can do that really aren't that hard to help people have a baby. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't imagine it um, being very, very emotional um, and very stressful. And then, you know, stress causes so many things in our body and it's just like a vicious cycle. <laughs> so that's, yeah. yeah, that's great that you're able to talk people through that. You know, I am wondering if, if there was like one thing that you really feel like 
for the most part, no one is really talking about surrounding women's health. It could be about fertility or just in general. What do you think should really be more of a focus that we're completely missing the boat? You know, I think age and infertility still doesn't get quite enough play. Uh Um, it, it gets talked about a little bit and people say, Oh, I'm, you know, my, I'm going to freeze my eggs because I'm getting old and, but people don't really know what getting old for fertility means. And then they, then the next time you talk to them, they're, they're, you know, this actress who's, you know, 60 years old, just had twins and, you know, she can do it. I can do it. And I don't have to wait. And I, I think, you know, people don't really understand the role that age plays in infertility and, and what that means and and how um, a lot of stuff that you see really isn't realistic or really isn't um, truthful. Mm-hmm. So like I said, if a woman is, in general, if you look at uh, couples who are trying to conceive a child, if the woman is under 35, the the overall chance of having a problem with infertility, meeting that diagnosis is about one in eight. Okay. It's about 15%. Uh, When the woman's over 35, that doubles. So now it's about one in three uh, have difficulty getting pregnant within a year's time. Only we shorten it to six months just to get people in treatment. Sure. Over 40, then it becomes two out of three have difficulty getting pregnant. And then when you add to that, just to the getting pregnant part, the risk of miscarriage increasing, it really does get more difficult as women get into their later 30s and early 40s. That doesn't mean that you have to, you know, jump on the first guy you see and try to get, get pregnant. But it does mean that you have to be honest with yourself about what your goals are and you know, how many children do you really want to have? Are you willing to have a child by yourself? Uh, Are you willing to have a child at a difficult point in your career to have a child just so you can make sure you can can do that? Um, And what if there is no partner in your life that you really want to have a family with? How do you how do you maintain your ability to have a child? And that's where things like egg freezing come in. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend if that's a thought in somebody's head to even, you know, start talking to somebody about at least what the process is and find out what the costs are uh, about egg freezing sometime in the mid thirties. Sure. Oh, interesting. So see, I didn't know that that was around the age that you should, you know, potentially yeah. could start looking at that. If you wait till 40 to talk about freezing your eggs, it, th- that's too late. You know, sure. we're not going to get as many eggs. You're going to work harder to get them. That quality is not going to be as good. The risk of miscarriage is going to be higher. So if that's something that you want to think about, that there's a lot of misconception about egg freezing, but there, there are a lot of companies that are paying for it now. Um, Microsoft, which is actually in North Dakota, pays for egg freezing for women who want to do that. Wow. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm actually kind of, I mean, I mean this in like the kindest, nicest way, but a lot of times with some things in North Dakota, we're a little bit more behind times and that feels pretty progressive. So that's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Microsoft is a very progressive company and they, um, they, they want to promote their their female employees and they understand that infertility affects men and women and they want to keep their employees happy because they're hard to train and and 
you know, they want them to live in North Dakota because this is a good place for them to have a place. Right, right. <laughs> so they want to make them happy. And this is one way that they can make them happy. So yeah, it, it is it is kind of a nice option. Um, but it's good, important, you know, if you think that that might be an option for you to, to at least get some information, you know, it's the cost of a, a consult, which your insurance might even cover, right. you know? Right. Yeah. So that it's worth getting the information so that you can at least plan ahead a little bit, just like you would meet with a financial planner to plan, you know, how much money you're going to have when you retire, or, you know, you meet with a banker to plan how you're going to buy a house. You know, this is another thing that you can plan for if you want to. Oh, I, you know, I really love that perspective because quite honestly, I think a lot of times when we talk about, you know, going to the doctor for any um, fertility concerns or even any thoughts, like it feels very um, almost kind of daunting maybe and and ha- sometimes has a little bit more of like a negative perspective but i love just that theory of like just being really clear and planning for your life and what your desires are and just getting some really good information so you can make good choices regardless of what you choose right right yeah and and it is something that i think will be talked about more but this um i think it's something that people still don't quite understand you know you see you know, actresses and singers and celebrities, and they have these babies in their 50s and 60s, and, um, you know, they still look beautiful, and they're still in great shape, and they get all the the facial reconstructions. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, they, you ask them how they had the baby, and they say, oh, you know, I just eat right and exercise, and we did an IVF cycle. They might cop to that, but they usually don't admit that they did donor egg and and that's how some of those older actually most of the you know people over 50 do have children oh is. interesting and i can understand the hesitancy to to say that because maybe they don't want an egg donor trying to track them down or maybe they just feel like that's their personal medical history and they don't need to tell everybody and you know i respect that but it's a little misleading if you try to pass it off as something right. that just happened very easily for you when it didn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I, I don't know this, but I would imagine even if it was something that was, you know, fairly easy for someone, that would probably be the exception more so than the rule. Is that a good way to look at that? I would say, yeah. Okay. I would say it, it gets, after 45, it's really, really hard to have a baby with your own eggs. Yeah. So that there is kind of a hard cut off at that point. Yeah, that's really. Can I just ask some questions cuz I'm curious about the freezing of the eggs? Yeah. So how long can you like actually keep your eggs frozen? Years. Um really? it, it's only been possible to freeze eggs and have them survive well for a few years, but that technique now works really really well. We used to have to fertilize them with donor sperm or a husband's sperm and then if there was you know a new partner who didn't really want a baby with some sperm donor's sperm then that sure. could be hard problem that could be you know that could be awkward yeah but um when the eggs are frozen and we do this for people with cancer as well to protect sure. their fertility before they get chemotherapy when the eggs are frozen they can be frozen for years decades there was a woman who had a baby a couple of years ago from a frozen embryo that 
was frozen the year the woman who had the baby was born. So she gave birth oh to gosh. a baby that was conceived the same year she was. Oh my gosh, that's wild. It's crazy. Yeah, it was a donated embryo oh and that gosh. was with old technology. So it was a probably a really good embryo, but it just goes to show you how long these things can stay pretty good. She had a live, healthy little baby daughter. That is like really, that's blowing my mind. I have to be honest with you. <laughs> that is just, it's mind blowing. Um, really the, I mean, even the increases in technology in these last couple of years, but it sounds like even before that, that there were some, some possibilities. It was still, yeah, it still wasn't bad before that. Now it's better. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where it's at like five to 10 years from now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen next? Yeah. Yeah. You just never do, do you? So, you know, I'm wondering if I can ask you a few questions that I ask everybody. Sure. Okay. Are you familiar with Brene Brown? Have you ever heard of her? She... Yeah. Oh, okay. I love her. Do you? Good, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so she has her book, Braving the Wilderness. And in the book, this is my summary of it, not hers, but basically how I consider it is she has this concept of really walking out into the wilderness alone, but really finding your, yourself and even other people in the wilderness um, that are also figuring it out along the way. So I'm wondering, can you think of a time that you felt like you stepped into your own wilderness? Well, you know how I mentioned I started off in the wrong field? Yep. Well, I feel like that was a time in my life where I had to brave the wilderness. I mean, I had a job. I had done all my medical school training, kind of aiming for this one area. And I realized very quickly that it was not right for me. And here I was working as an intern. I was busy. I didn't have a year to go interview and travel all over the country. I had to just kind of make commitment and make a decision. And so um, first what I did was I found uh, a doctor who was a brother of a friend of mine who was an OBGYN at Georgetown. And I said to the brother, the friend, can, can I talk to your brother about OBGYN? He said, I don't know. He's kind of burned out. I don't know if you'll like him. I said, I just need to talk to him because I hate my job. Uh-huh. So I sat down with this doctor and he said, don't go into OBGYN. It's terrible. It, the hours are terrible. You're going to be tired. The legal climate's very difficult. Um, you're, you're not going to like it. Don't go into it. I said, but I really hate my job now. And I think I'll like this better. And he goes, don't go into OBGYN unless you have to. Hmm. And I was like, I, I think I have to. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I have to do this. I think it's the right thing for me. He says, okay, if you have to, after what I said, good luck and, and enjoy it. And I, I never regretted that. And then when I started my residency in OBGYN, um, the other residents there and the attendings there just kind of like we we became kind of a family yes. and they, these are people that know, and I even put something about this on Instagram the other day, cause it was really in my mind, but these are people that know the worst things about you. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what you look like when you first wake up in the morning. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> they, they know what you smell like when you haven't brushed your teeth for 36 hours. They yes. know what you're like when you're hangry. They know what you're like <laughs> when you're sad and they know everything about you because we're together all the time. And that family of residency, you know, really helped me through the wilderness, I would yes. say. 
I love that. What a supportive environment. And, uh, you know, I think when we're going through a situation and we do meet other people along the way that are um, in a similar situation, it does build a very strong bond because it's almost yeah. like that's what keeps you going is knowing that you're not alone. And you're truly not isolated. Yeah. It is. It, they're like siblings. So there was the same kind of joshing and ribbing and fighting, but support yes. that you would have with brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's really awesome. You know, and how great still that even, even though you spoke with someone who was like, don't do this, (laughs) you still, you know, trusted your gut and trusted your instinct and what you were supposed to do. Because there's a lot of people that probably would have heard that. He was encouraging me too, because he really just said, look, if you're going to go into this for money or prestige or hours or a good lifestyle, you're not going to like it. But if you just love this field, if you just want to do it and can't imagine doing anything else, then go into it. Yes, that's fantastic. You know, I I am a firm believer that it does not matter how much money you make. It does not. I mean, obviously we need money to live. But if you are in an environment where you are not happy, that can just ruin things throughout your entire life. That's true. That's true. But one of the things when you're not happy that you tend to latch on to is the money. Yes. Yes. I I would tell my kids that, you know, if if you're not happy in the environment, the first thing you're going to go, you're going to point to it when you're not happy with your employer is. And the other thing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That, that is true. I think that's, that's very insightful. That's fantastic. Was that hard for you? If you don't mind me asking for your family, did you, were you working a lot of like late nights then and such? And well, when I was in residency, I was single. Oh, okay. Okay. It was just me. Okay. Um, I didn't get married till my early thirties when I was just, when I just completed my training, I got married right after I finished my fellowship. So um, I met my husband at the end of my residency and he traveled to LA with me for my fellowship. And we kind of had a wonderful two years in sunny California, enjoying ourselves. And I was learning a lot. and He was starting off in a new career as well. And so that was really a, a nice time for us. Yes. And then when I got married, yeah, it was, it was hard because I had my kids, I got married in my thirties. So then I had, knowing what I know about age and infertility, we kind of had to get busy right away. Right. And start family. So I had my kids really close together. And, um, you know, while I was trying to build a practice and take my boards, I took all my boards pregnant. Oh my um, gosh. Props. That's impressive. <laughs> it was just, it's just what you had to do. Yeah. So, um, so that part and starting a, starting a fellowship or not a fellowship, but a, a private practice and, and all of that was, you know, that was a, just a busy time. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's really great though. So I'm wondering if you think about, you know, throughout your life in general, it could be about this field, it could be family, you know, who really sticks out in your mind? It can be multiple people um, that are your biggest encouragers throughout life. Well, I have to say my husband for sure, you know, because every time I've been saying, you know, Mike, I think we should do this, you know, let's move to New, let's move to Long Island. (laughs) Let's move to North Dakota. (laughs) Let's move to North Carolina. He's been kind of like, okay. (laughs) So, you know, and he, when the kids were little and I was trying to do all this stuff, he was the stay at home dad for a while. And he, without him, I couldn't have, 
you know, done any of this. So I have to say he's the most encouraging person. But my sisters always encouraged me. My parents were always, you can do this. We believe in you. And even now that my kids are adults and in college, they encourage me too, you know? So you get it from the lower generations as well. That's really cool. So family, family's huge, but along the way, there are so many people who encourage Mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. You know, every, every step of the way you, you know, even at work, you get encouraged by, or I do by my patients Uh and I I get encouraged by my nurses and lab personnel and, um, administrators, it, you know, colleagues, it, it, you, you can find those people everywhere. Yes, I would agree. When I think back on my career, it's, it is almost like there were just people put here and here and just kind of like pointing the way or, or saying things or, um, you know, making recommendations or just being supportive that just helped me kind of find the path that I'm on. And so I think you're right about that. There's just always people along the way. And don't you notice when you have a bad day and maybe things aren't going well, like something wasn't great with a patient or, or somebody had a complaint and, and you're like, oh, I'm screwing up or this is wrong or I'm never going to, you know, yep. do it right. And then the very next minute, you know, you get like a thank you card yes. with a baby picture in it saying, oh, thank you so much. And you really helped me and you were so nice. And, you Absolutely. know, those it's like those things do come into your life right when you need them. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Even when I first started the podcast, I have to tell you after a few months, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't know what I'm doing. I might just need to shut this down. And it was that very day that I went to go see one of my friends and she was like, you have to keep going. And I hadn't even told her that I was going to be stopping, you know, but she was like, you have to keep going. I just really feel like this is a good path that you're on. This is something you're supposed to do. And I thought, okay, well, there's my sign that I need to keep doing that. And so I think a lot of times that happens. It really does. And it's important to um, try to try to acknowledge that and notice those things. Yeah. That's That's fantastic. And I love that your husband, like wherever you want to go, he's just like, sure, let's go. That's awesome. (laughs) And then we get there and he's like, I don't like this. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, if you don't mind me asking, what are you most looking forward to in North Carolina? The weather. Yes, <laughs> yes. I know it's kind of a shallow thing, but I'm really looking forward to the weather. No, you know, actually I have a friend that lives there um, and she's been a friend of mine since uh, we were five years old. And so we'll compare temperatures, you know, it'll be like negative 30. And she's like, yeah, it's like 60 here, 70. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, we do have a lot of friends and family in that area as well. Oh, and nice. so I think it'll be nice to be a little closer to people I haven't been able to see easily for many years. Yes, that's fantastic. I'm excited that's for you. That'll be being a person who, who moves versus a person who stays put their whole life. There's you know, good things about both. Both can live, give you a wonderful life. But it turned out we're the mover types. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We are too. We just kind of picked up our life and moved to North Dakota. And, you know, I I don't know about you, but I like an adventure and I like challenges and change. And so um, that can always be good and fun. So that's great. So I'm wondering if somebody wants to follow your journey, what is the best way that they can find you? Okay. Well, I'll be working for Carolina's Fertility Institute, CFI. So if somebody is listening, that's in 
North Carolina and has questions about infertility or wants to talk to somebody, that's where I'll be. And um, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. I have the same handle on both. It's at Dr. K. Kane, so D-R-K-C-A-I-N. Um, I, I guess I need to probably do Facebook, suck it up and do Facebook too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do like Instagram though myself. I do Facebook as well. I but I find it a very positive yeah. platform. People are nice there. They, they mind their manners. They put, yeah. you know, encouraging and, yes. and positive things on there. And I think we need a lot of that. I, I agree with that. And I purposefully surround myself with that. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not um, someone who will shy away from the hard things by any means, but I do think it's important with what we're filling our minds with. And um, so some of that can be really helpful. It is. I actually canceled a previous Twitter account because I was following back pretty much everyone who followed me because that's yep. how I figured you got followers. Yep. And um, my feed just got overwhelmed with all this negativity and I really didn't enjoy it. So I just closed the account and yep. it was, affecting. so I closed that account. I opened up at Dr. K Kane and I just kept it medical. Yeah. You know, I didn't go into current events. I didn't go into any of that. I just kept it medical. Um, I follow other doctors, nurses, yes. medical people, scientists, uh, I, I really don't follow uh, political yeah. uh, things anymore. And it's much nicer, you know, yeah. because that community on there, and it is a community, they, um, you know, are there for each other. And, and you can get, you know, we make each other laugh and we make each other, give each other good ideas. And it's a good way to share medical information. Yeah. And I found the same true of doctors that I follow on Instagram. Yes. And some of the younger doctors you know in their 30s they're so tech savvy and so am amazing at you know getting good information out there for patients and i don't even have to do the work i can just say to my patients hey go follow this great doctor on instagram yes. and get a whole thing about supplements or male factor infertility or pcos Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I definitely agree with that. I follow quite a few therapists on there and a lot of times we will, you know, write back and forth or if we really like something someone has written, we'll share that. And um, I think that you can build relationships and, and support, um, obviously from afar, but with um, really great individuals and to learn more ourselves. We're always learning and we can always learn from each other. Right. As a professional platform, it's great. And, um, you know, I hope that patients can follow me and get exposed to some of these great things that um, that other doctors I follow put out there because I'll share it, you know. Yeah. They, they went to the trouble of writing a beautiful podcast or putting up a nice, you know, tutorial or something. Yeah, yeah. let's let them learn from it. Absolutely, absolutely. Get the information out there. I love that so much, so... Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your night and talking with me. This was really fun. Oh, it was, Kelly. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my first time on a podcast. That's awesome. Well, you did fantastic, <laughs> and I wish you the best, too, in your move and everything as well. Oh, thanks a lot, and you, too. Thank you for listening to Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. 
For all things related to this episode, please go to www.kellysisson.com backslash podcast, where you can find transcript from today's show and links for today's guest. See you next week for another episode.